Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Romeo Carey podcast. This interview takes us back to 2000 and could be 2010. But in any event, this is an exclusive a performance by an interesting, um, interesting woman who's had quite an illustrious career. That's none other than Victoria Jackson. That's the American actress, comedian, singer uh, who was cast in um, the NBC sketch comedy series Saturday Night Live. SNL from 1986 to 1992. Jackson was born in Miami, Florida, the daughter of Marlene Esther and James McCaslin Jackson, and he was a gym coach. From the age of five until she was 18, Jackson's father trained her in gymnastics. And let me tell you, it was gymnastics that actually got her on uh got her on the map. After graduating from high school, Jackson attended Florida Bible College in Hollywood, Florida. She later transferred to Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina on a gymnastics scholarship. See what your little influence uh, that the father had on her that uh, look it's taking her you know even on a on a college scholarship at Furman uh, she was cast in her first play she transferred to Auburn University in 1979 for her senior year changing her major to theater midway uh, through her senior year she left Auburn to pursue an acting career in the 2000s Jackson earned a degree in theater from Palm Beach Atlantic University. And of course, while doing summer stock theater in Alabama, Jackson, she met a former child actor, Johnny Crawford, of the 1950s television series, The Rifleman, who cast her uh, in his nightclub act. She moved to Los Angeles in 1981, working various jobs and performing comedy at night her first big break was a was an appearance on the tonight show starring johnny carson where she recited poetry while doing a handstand and there you go again her father her influence that handstand is what distinguished her from all the other acts here she is on johnny carson doing poetry while doing a handstand. She went on to appear, which was the number one show. Johnny Carson was huge during that whole era of the 80s and uh, into the 90s. And uh, she appeared on it 20 more times. In 1984, she uh, appeared in the pilot, Walter. Uh, it was a MASH spinoff. The, the network ended up not picking it up. It was kind of a failed show. Following that role, she had a short-lived 1985 television series, Half Nelson. Jackson received an offer to audition for the cast of Saturday Night Live. And really, because she wasn't confident with her audition, she had, because she wasn't you know, confident that her audition went well, she performed impersonations on her uh, next Tonight Show appearance and sent that tape as kind of a sample of what she's capable of doing to SNL's producer, Lorne Michaels. After viewing the tape, Michael uh, Michaels asked Jackson to join the show. And so that put her on the map. 
And from that point forward, you know, she's bounced around. She's done movies. She's done television. She's, uh, she's at a regular role uh, in 2000 on Comedy Central sitcom Strip Mall. And that went for a number of years. I think 2003, 2004 season. Uh, she was on the Nickelodeon show Romeo. And uh, then, you know, then she went into a, a bit of a, a hiatus and then uh, she she really got into at least recently more into into politics and uh, you know kind of bounced around with marriages and you know kind of I'm not sure where she's at at this point in her life but I know she was doing tea party stuff and appearing uh, on a lot of shows and sure she's but she did a bunch of political stuff and she got her comedy and kind of some traction in that anyway she's very interesting and we shot her this evening it was a performance at a it was a religious uh it was like a church but here she went and put on her show and so here's the exclusive never seen before or never heard before it's been sitting you know in my vault for the last decade and here I reveal it tonight for my podcast listeners, the vintage 2010, 2010 Toria Jackson performance. Take it away.
for a while and show the summer called the half hour comedy hour. I have the slightest idea what she's going to do. Would you welcome Victoria Jackson? Victoria, 
I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore. I can't do this stupid Victoria Airhead thing anymore. I'm a serious actress and it's really making me sick. I mean, how long can you pound a thing into the ground? You know, what really kills me is that people buy it. The voice, the poems. Go figure. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> You know, it seems like a patriarchal system that women wouldn't endorse necessarily. Why would you endorse that? You know why there's more old ladies in church? Because all their husbands died. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, I'm beginning to worry that you wouldn't make it. Is this your first time in a TV studio? How exciting. Couldn't be happier for the two of you. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a big underground welcome for Victoria Jackson. Yeah! return. 
and most of it he spent on supplies, um, disposable big lighters, secrets, fire retardant hairspray. And we don't get, I don't believe in divorce, but you know, I was afraid he was going to set me on fire one day, so I thought maybe there's a loophole in the <laughs> And uh, I got half of his stuff. I got a big lighter, so I keep it as a memento. <laughs> And now he's the richest fire, in the, fire eater in the world. I don't know how that happened, but... So then I called up my high school sweetheart, and he married me, so I had to live in our hometown, Miami. And um, I hadn't seen my high school sweetheart in 10 years, and since I'd last seen him, he'd become a cop. And I thought, oh, cops are so brave. They risk their lives, you know, saving us from bad people. And then I met them all. And I found out they go to Hooters for lunch every day, every day, to look for bad people. So we had a little talk about that, and then he quit going there, and then he went to Wendy's instead. And, um, so anyway, so that's how I ended up in Miami. And then, see, I d thank you for coming here. I volunteered to Rusty. Uh, I mean, and Paul, and I don't know why, except I just wanted to tell you that I have to move back to Miami. I've been here one year. It's my favorite church, my favorite town, and, uh, yeah. And I've been crying, like, for two weeks. So I started thinking, like, why am I here, and how many times have I left L.A.? And I thought maybe other people could relate. How many people here are from other states? Right? And how many of you would like to stay here? Yeah, this is like the best place. So I started thinking, I've left Hollywood. Hollywood has a hold on me, okay? And I don't know exactly what it is. The first time I was in a play, I got the bug, and I was completely addicted. I had to play um, uh, a sl Greek slave. And I was, you know, I had a feather duster, and I was making the audience laugh for the first time, and I got addicted. And so I was like, how can I get that again? So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's probably why everyone comes to Hollywood. And so I don't know if it was so much about fame, but that's kind of fun, too, and money's fun and all that. But um, so I came out here when I was 20, I mean 19, and... Um, so I've had to leave Hollywood five times, and I figured it's not my will, it must be God's will that I'm leaving, because my will would be to stay here, even if I'm out of work. I love the people, I love auditions, I don't even mind rejection. But anyway, so I, I'm tired of my act, so I was going to just tell you about the five times I've had to leave Hollywood. Well, I'll do a little of my act when it gets quiet like this. Okay. <laughs> police personality at work, sometimes in bed he puts his arm around me and says, do you have any idea why I pulled you over? <laughs> For real. <laughs> and once I overslept and he drew a chalk outline around me. <laughs> See, that's way better than silence. Hollywood was because I had a nervous breakdown. What happened was 
I was uh, a Baptist virgin, and I was in Hollywood, and um, I, I, I did one thing wrong. I did not get involved in a church group. So I was like, oh, I've been in church my whole life. I need to get a car. I need to get a job. I need to get a dollar of food, and then an agent, and you know. So um, it wasn't my priority, and that was my big mistake, because I ended up hanging out with people from work. And I was the French maid. I was a cigarette girl at this club at night, and the uh, uh, American Cancer Society secretary in the daytime. And <laughs> in the daytime, I had to tell people how to quit smoking, and it made me get really interested in smoking, because I had to like talk about it all day. And then at night, I was like cigarettes, cashews, and this French maid costume. And so the fire eater was there. We hung out every night. So he was like, want to go out? I'm like, I'm not going out with you. You're promiscuous. And, you know, after a year, I was like, I don't have any friends. I don't have any family here. And then I found out my true love, who I'm married to now, was marrying a girl from church back home. So I got mad at God. Very big mistake. And I was like, fine. I, I did everything right. And I'm lonely and broke. And so I went to the fire eater's house and... That's what made me have a nervous breakdown. Because, because like, um, you know, when I went in there, there was like this cloud of smoke. And, and I started giggling, and this girl goes, she has a contact eye. I go, what's that? And then, like, they were playing music, and there was finches and doves and ferrets everywhere. And, and I was like, Christians should be like this. Christians don't have ferrets, and, you know. And finches, and well, he had doves for his magic act, and finches were in the cage with the doves and everything. But I heard um, this loud whisper from God in my ear, and said, "Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath light with darkness?" And I could hear it so plain, and I remember going, "I know, I'm taking him to church." <laughs> so I took him to church, and then he taught me about fire eater world and and then his house burned down <laughs> no for real and this is not my act because i'm tired of my act and so then like i heard him say to his brother did you get the stash and i was like stash like are they pirates or something <laughs> and then i thought hey they might be drug dealers. That's why those people kept dropping by all day. I'd say, why do those people drop by? They don't stay very long, you know. So anyway, um, that's why I had a nervous breakdown. Because you can't really be in, there is a spiritual war in our world, Ephesians 6, 12. And uh, it's very real. It's invisible, but it's real. And so I went home, and I was all, I had burned my, I wanted to look like Bernadette two years, so I got a permanent, and my hair was all burned off. And I was really fat and everything. And my mom goes, this is what Hollywood did to you. <laughs> and so then I went on the powder diet, and I watched 700 Club every morning, and I typed, I typed all day, so, temporary secretary. So then I ended up back in Hollywood. I don't know, it was like this whole you know, power over me. And then when I first came here, it was because I thought, I can only chase a whim now because I'm 20 and uh, you know, I'll never get to chase a whim again. I'll have kids and a husband and I won't get to chase a whim. This is a good time. And so I'm back and then 
The second time I had to leave Hollywood was because I got Saturday Night Live. And, which was kind of like, qualified for it. I didn't know voices. I never took improv. So it might have been a God thing. Because when I was six, um, I was in the Baptist church my whole life. And I remember a sermon in Isaiah. And he, and God said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, send me. And I always remember thinking, God, I'll, I'll, I'll tell people about you. But please don't send me to Africa. <laughs> Africa. <laughs> 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 but some people have that have that passion. What? <laughs> Some people, Steve, you have that passion for Africa, for, no, for that country. <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, I just was like, please, I don't want to go there. I'm scared of bugs and everything. So, anyway, so I had to leave LA again. I didn't want to leave my Laurel Canyon house because I love it here. But anyway, I'm there, and I'm not, not qualified. I audition, and everyone asks me, how did you get on SNL? All the time. So I wanted to tell you, well, I auditioned. That's the short version. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. I'm glad you enjoyed the long jokes at the beginning of the program. Well, and so the long version is I was... Um, Let's see, I had a baby, and I had a fire eater who didn't work very much, and um, I got a phone call on my Kermit the Frog phone in 1986, and they said, would you like to audition for Saturday Night Live tomorrow? I don't know how they got my number, it didn't go through my agent, and I said, oh, yeah, and they said, oh, well, I think they saw me on Johnny Carson, that's how they heard of me. I got on Johnny Carson from doing a handstand poetry six-minute act at the place where the fire eater was. Every night for two years. So finally Johnny's people saw it. So anyway, I'm, I, I say yes. They go, when you get, uh, we have a ticket waiting for you at LAX at 8 a.m. And I was like, okay. And they said, bring your characters. I was like, okay. So I hung up. I was like, I don't have any characters. <laughs> I don't have any voices. I do have a ukulele and a handstand. So I, um, I flew to New York the next day and I auditioned. And then Lawrence, they said, stay an extra day. He liked your audition. He wants to talk to you. And then he said, so, so are you okay? <laughs> uh, yes, I do a fire here. Uh, so, and um, you have a ba just had a baby. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, your audition was very funny, but I don't think you're very strong in characters. I said, well, I can talk like that. And he, he goes, <laughs> And he starts walking me to the door, like, to get rid of me. And I go, I could do a character like this. And he's like, <laughs> and I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, like, if I wanted you to be like Diane Keaton. I said, well, I would wear men's clothes and look at the ground a lot. <laughs> and then he goes, well, <laughs> like, wow. if I wanted you to be a Midwestern housewife. I go, well, I am a housewife, and my parents are from the Midwest. And he goes, <laughs> well... And so I thought, oh man, I was so close. But I don't think I got it. So I flew back to LA and I was supposed to be on Johnny Carson in two weeks for my, my fifth time. And I was like, what if I continue my audition on The Tonight Show? That'll impress Lauren. So I rented all these tapes and I tried to copy Tina Turner and Terry Gott. 
and I realized I'm terrible at it. And I, and I thought, well, what if I do it bad, but people still laugh? That, that will work, because it's all about making people laugh. So, um, so this is what happened on Johnny then. And the guy asked me, they flew me to New York and everything, and he asked me if I could do characters. I did a really bad Tina Turner. Right. I like, what's my got to do, got to do this. And then Johnny's like, Tina Turner? And I'm like, yeah, what's love got to do, got to do this. <laughs> and then the last one I did, I go, Charlie, why do you want to work for my company? <laughs> Well now, uh, Sam, uh, I mean, John, uh, why would you like to uh, work for uh, my company? Well, this is the one that I made up because... <laughs> Celebrity, you just made one up? No, I just made it up because well, how I. How can I guess? <laughs> Who is it? Oh, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then I thought, I know I got it now, because that was a great moment. And then, so uh, the next Sunday night, I got a call at 10 p.m. and they said, Congratulations, you're on Saturday Night Live. Uh, there'll be a plane waiting for you at LAX tomorrow at 8 a.m. And uh, like Mission Impossible, you know, with the tape and the smoke. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you. And I hung up Kermit the Frog's leg. And, and then I went, ah! And then uh, my husband threw up because he didn't handle stress well. And uh, then my baby started crying because she heard me scream. And then we had to pack and then get on a plane. And so six years was very exciting. And um, I don't know, my favorite moment was when I made up the bimbo song because I made it up and Steve Martin was the host and Sting was the music and I was like, I can't believe Sting and Steve are watching me. And it was very, very exciting, but it's kind of hard to live after that because everything else is kind of a letdown. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm the lottery, can't be a big deal. I met Sting, you know. But while I was there, I kept thinking, what am I doing here? And I thought, this is my mission field. I mean, you know, since I was six and I said, send me. Uh, my dad used to be a gymnastics coach, and he always witnessed to his gymnasts all the time. And one time he said to Maureen Fowler, he goes, uh, he said, Vicki, come here. He couldn't remember anything. He goes, tell her John 3.16. And so I told her, and weird that he so I saw him witnessing in the real world like in his job as a gymnastics coach all sweaty drinking tab and <laughs> he would drive us to gymnastic meets and tell them this, the theory of relativity and the second law of thermodynamics and then you know why you know creation makes more sense than evolution you know so he was like a PE coach who graduated from the University of Chicago, and yeah. So he was like an intellectual Christian. He wasn't an emotional Christian. He thought it made philosophically made the most sense, like C.S. Lewis. And so you know, I thought, well, this must be my mission field. 
And uh, so I um, went, so I'm in the show, and nobody was doing drugs because everyone was too ambitious, and it was the Just Say No era. And uh, everyone just wanted to be a star. And so um, one time, Al Franken, well, people say, what was it like to be a Christian there? And basically, it was the same as being a Christian anywhere. Like, my husband was on the SWAT team. He was the only Christian on the SWAT team. And they'd, like, shoot people and then go to a bar, right? And so, <laughs> and, like, he was the only Christian. So it was kind of like the same thing. And, and so, um, and only three, about three people hated me for being Christian there. Two of them were the Turners who made that show, Third Rock from the Sun. They, they kind of hated me, but anyway. Um, so, so I'm there, and uh, one time uh, there was a skit where I was supposed to pray in the middle of it. I was supposed to play an extreme Christian. It was the Tammy Faye time, Baker, whose mascara was running all the time. And I said, well, you know, I can make fun of Christians, but the praying part bothered me. I was like, I don't think I could kneel and pray in a comedy skit. Uh, and so I waited in front of Lauren's office for an hour because you have to wait an hour because he's very important. And <laughs> all the time. And then when he wants you to leave, he always gets on the phone with Steve or, um, what's his other best friend? Steve Martin or, um, what's the, yeah, Paul Simon. So then, hey, are you one of Lauren's friends? Are you going to tell him on me? <laughs> oh, yeah. So here goes Steve. Or Hi, Steve. Or Hi, Paul. And that means you're supposed to leave, you know? And so I waited, and then I go, and I go, Lauren, you know, I don't mind doing this skit, but I don't think I can pray because I think that's really talking to God, and I would probably start crying or get struck by lightning. So, and he goes, I understand the time. No problem. And so then he gave it to Julia Sweeney, and then she did it at dress rehearsal, and nobody laughed, so it never got on the show. But, you know, we got to do what, you know, we had control over the writing. We were supposed to write our own material, and I was very weak in that area, so that's why I wasn't on as much as Mike Myers, who was very strong in that area. But anyway, um, and my one other story was that Al Franken um, came up to me once in the hall, and he said, um, can I speak with you for a minute along? Um, it kind of offends me that um, you act ditzy um, because I heard you in the meeting and you're very intelligent. And uh, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, oh. I said, well, I don't think I'm fake. I hate fakeness, but, um, well, I do have congenital palatal insufficiency. Which, um, when I was the te uh, temporary secretary, they used to, they I worked for these throat specialists. They said, "Can we look in your throat?" And um, I was typing, you know, and so they examined it for free, and they said I had that, which means from birth your palate is insufficient. And so, <laughs> and so, and Al Franken's like, and I go, but you know, maybe I'm overcompensate my personality is overcompensating because what I'm really thinking is that everyone here is dying and going to hell and I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> and his face turned to white. <laughs> and then like he never spoke to me again. <laughs> For real. And, and then, like, he wrote me one more thing about term limits, which is kind of funny because I didn't know anything about politics. <laughs>
And I was like, what does term limits mean? Because I don't want to do a sketch if I don't believe in it. And he's like, you know, they should limit it. So now I think it's kind of funny because I wonder if he believes in term limits now. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping he believes that he should be there like a month. <laughs> and then someone else should fill in. You know, to keep, you know, so the power will get out of control. So... So that's like how it was then. That was very exciting. Um, so I was going to try to sing a song from each of these times I had to leave Hollywood. The first time I had to leave Hollywood, well, I forgot to sing that song. But basically, if you can go back, if you can remember that phase of my show. <laughs> and, um, you know, picture this. I'm like, I'm broke. I have this fire eater husband who scares me, and um, I I was I lived in an apartment next to the uh, Pasadena freeway, and it was about a hundred a month for one room, and I had a cat named Thunder, and she sprayed all the corners to, make, to, to prove it was her territory, you know, to make sure everyone knew that that was her territory. So and, and that was my only friend. And I was very sad and lonely and like, what am I doing here? I should be have a real life and be married and everything. So this is, then I wrote this, Use Me by Victoria Jackson. The actress cries out from her lonely apartment, use me, please use me. The abandoned wife in her curlers and nightgown says, use me, please use me. The man in the sombrero hat at the bar, he says, Come on, use this! Silently, everyone desperately wants to be used. Amused, I see my calico cat straining her neck near my knee. Silently purring, meow, use me! Comes on the street and pops on the beat, cry out, use me!
I'll volunteer. <laughs> I'll pretend I'm a comedian so I can sing a song. Okay, so anyway, um, then I got to do that on the Johnny Carson show because where's my glasses? Because I was always trying to come up with something to say on his show. So I sang that on the show. And he had me back again. And so anyway, the second time I had to leave Hollywood, well, the songs around then were the Bimbo song and uh, well, I was having a very bad marriage because God said, be not unequally yoked together, and I disobeyed him, so we have to reap what you sow. And even though God forgives people and redeems them, you have to suffer the consequences of your actions. So basically, it was very difficult at home, and uh, my husband was not eating very much fire. He was drinking a lot of hidden vodka. And, um, so then I... I, um, the next time, okay, so I come back to Hollywood, and the next time I have to leave Hollywood is when I marry my true love, and I have to decide between my career and true love, and it seems like life is like all about God's will or my will, is this God's will or is this my will, and career and family, I, do you guys struggle with career and family? It's like, it's good for my career and bad for my family, or it's bad for my career and good for my family. It's like, never happens exactly right, exactly together. Anyway, so I decided that love was more important than fame and riches, and so I left my house in Laurel Canyon to move to the swamp, and <laughs> where no one speaks English, and, and um, I got a tattoo. I... I is it a sin to get a tattoo? No. <laughs> well, I was kind of torn, but I wanted a permanent physical symbol to represent my emotional pain. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's very small, like a dot. But uh, you could think it was a freckle, but I know it's a tattoo. <laughs> and yeah, and so I went to Miami and basically I wrote songs like this in Miami um, uh, now this husband is a Christian he even reads the Bible when no one's looking I was loved like a baby who has wanted and cherished I was touched like a rose upon a cheek I was heard like a sermon on spiritually hungry ears I was looked at as a lady of the week mm -mm. I was enveloped like a fetus in a womb was treated like a pharaoh in an Egyptian tomb. I was lifted up as a sacrifice to God. I was loved like a man who made me feel like a lifetime. I was loved by a man who made me feel like a lifetime. I was loved by a man who ravished me. Thank you. Thank you. 
kids a dog and you are someone's wife. But ooh, if you were Lebanese, you would be so cool. Breaking every rule, and if you want to get a kick, you kiss your lover on the street and knock the Baptist off their feet. You know, but you know, there's kids here. <laughs> Overnight, but sarcastic. And, oh, so then I was so bored, so I started uh, painting, and <laughs> I was terrible. And I wrote my life story. Nobody wanted to read it, and I got 13 rejection letters. So then I started doing stand-up, and I don't have an act, as you've noticed. And so um, I did it 13 years, you know, just milking the Saturday Night Live thing for as long as I could, and. Um, and so then I thought, why am I in front of all these people telling dumb blonde jokes that I didn't even write? And um, <laughs> it's like, number one rule in show business, don't do that. And I thought, I wish I could just tell them John 3.16, at least they would leave with something substantial. And so then I slipped it into one of my songs. And also what happened was Phil Hartman died. And uh, that was like very shocking to everyone because I knew him, I knew his wife, and and I started thinking about death. And the guy who put me on the Tonight Show, he died, the town scout, Jim McCauley. And so this is the song I wrote about that. A nice ukulele. You can't buy talent in a guitar store. You can't buy talent in a guitar store. You can buy lots of guitar strings and lots of curvy wooden things. You can't buy talent in a guitar store. Is that it? Yeah. Store. But you can buy a nice ukulele. I got my kids a hamster the other day. They loved him to death, you could say. I told them, hold them gentle. It's just a song. <laughs> Loved your hamster to death. Found <laughs> <laughs> the kids a hamster the other day. They loved him to death, you could say. I told them, hold him gentle, but they made him do ballet. You can't buy a hamster that knows ballet. But you can buy, buy a nice ukulele. He's a musician. Um, my husband said just the other day, look at the sunset going down that way. It seems to go slow the whole day long, but it goes much faster when it's near the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you try to rhyme those two words. <laughs> Why does it do that? And what does it mean? 